There was a knock one morning, a man was standing at my door. He said, hello, I'm from Halliburton, have you heard of us before? We'd like to lease your backyard to drill for natural gas. It's called hydraulic fracturing, and it is the very past for a clean energy future above the Marcella Stone. Plus, we'll give you lots of money and a new mobile phone. I said, you are a corporate crook. I don't believe the things you tell, and you can drive right off my property and then go straight to hell. No fracking way. No fracking way. I don't trust corporate salesmen, whatever they may say. No fracking way. 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 And that was David Rovix with No Fracking Way. You can find that entire song on the album Big Red Sessions. Greetings and welcome to Frack You Very Much, a fracking terrible podcast. If you want to check out back episodes and more, you can go to frackyouverymuch.com. you find a link there to send me a message. You'll also find the links there to make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. You can also follow on Twitter at FYVMshow. First up, a story written by Sharon Kelly and published at dsmog.uk. Nope, dsmog.co.uk. Back in April last year, the Trump administration's Environmental Protection Agency decided it was, quote, not necessary to update the rules for toxic waste from oil and gas wells. Torrents of wastewater flow daily from the nation's 1.5 million active oil and gas wells, and the agency's own research has warned it may pose risks to the country's drinking water supplies. On Tuesday, a major new investigative report published by Rolling Stone and authored by reporter Justin Noble delves deep into the risks that the oil and gas industry wastes, much of it radioactive, poses to the industry's own workers and to the public. Quote, There is little public awareness of this enormous waste stream, Noble, who also reports for Desmog, wrote, The disposal of which could present dangers at every step, from being transported along America's highways in unmarked trucks, handled by workers who are often misinformed and underprotected, leaked into waterways, and stored in dumps that are not equipped to contain the toxicity. Additional documents obtained by Nobel and shared with DSMOG show that a report prepared for the American Petroleum Institute, API, the nation's largest oil and gas trade group, described the risks posed by the industry's radioactive waste to workers as, quote, significant. In 1982, long before the shale drilling rush unleashed new floods of wastewater from the industry, including waste from the Marcellus Shale, which can carry unusually high levels of radioactive contamination. A trillion toxic gallons. Oil and gas wells pump out nearly a trillion gallons of wastewater a year, Rolling Stone reported. That's literally a river of waste, enough to replace all the water flowing from the Mississippi River into the Gulf of Mexico, for more than two and a half days. 
Much of that wastewater, often referred to by the industry as, quote, brine, carries high levels not of familiar table salt, but of corrosive salts found deep below the Earth's surface, as well as toxic compounds and carcinogens. That water can also carry serious amounts of radioactive materials. The Rolling Stone report, labeled, quote, sobering by the Pointner Institute, described levels of radium as high as 28,500 picocuries per liter in brine from the Marcellus Shale underlying Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York, and West Virginia. Levels hundreds of times as much as the Nuclear Regulatory Commission would allow in industrial discharges from other industries. The oil and gas industry's waste, however, isn't regulated like most other industries' wastes, slipping instead through loopholes carved out in the nation's cornerstone environmental laws, including exemptions for the industry and federal laws covering hazardous waste. Quote, If I had a beaker of that on my desk and accidentally dropped it on the floor, they would shut the place down, Yuri Gorby, a microbiologist who'd studied radioactive materials at the USGS and Department of Energy, told the magazine. And if I dumped it down the sink, I could go to jail. It is well known that some naturally occurring elements, uranium for example, have an affinity for crude oil, the 1982 API report says, noting that uranium can decay into elements like radium-226, quote, a potent source of radiation exposure both internal and external, API's report explained, and radon-222, which can, quote, cause the most severe impact to public health. Almost all materials of interest and use to the petroleum industry contain measurable quantities of radionuclides that reside finally in process equipment, product streams, or waste, the 1982 report notes. This contamination can produce significant occupational exposures, API report continued, with emphasis in the original document of significant occupational exposures. API's report focused on the possibility that federal government might step in and regulate those radioactive materials under the Clean Air Act or under federal Superfund laws. Depending on the mode of definition, the report adds, very small quantities of petroleum products could easily contain reportable quantities of radioactive materials. A chart lists amounts as small as half a barrel of crude oil or 17 cubic feet of natural gas as containing, quote, one reportable quantity of uranium or radon under the most restrictive definition. The report labels uranium, quote, a somewhat different dilemma than radon gas. We estimated earlier in this paper that significant quantities of uranium potentially enter our refineries via crude oil, the report continues. Little is known of its fate, however. Quote, since the law of conservation of matter must apply, it can only end up in the product, the process waste, remain in the process equipment, or escape into the environment, the report notes, calling for more study, particularly of the industry's refining equipment and waste. Some of the report's most stark language warned about the possibility of federal regulation of the industry's radioactive wastes. Quote, it is concluded that the regulation of radionuclides could impose a severe burden 
on API member companies, the report says, and it would be prudent to monitor closely both regulatory actions. API spokesperson Reed Porter provided to DSmog the group's response to the Rolling Stone investigation. Quote, We take each report of safety or health issues related to energy development very seriously, Porter said. Nothing is more important than the health and safety of our workers, the local environment, and the communities where we live, operate, and raise families. Natural gas and oil companies meet or exceed strict federal and state regulations and also undergo regular inspections to ensure that all materials are managed, stored, transported, and disposed of safely through regular monitoring, ongoing testing, and strict handling protocols. Industry operations are guided by internationally recognized standards and best practices to provide for safe working environments and public safety. API also pointed to a one-page document titled NORM, which stands for Naturally Occurring Radioactive Materials in the Oil and Natural Gas Industry, as, a pub- as of publication time, API had not responded to questions from DSmog regarding the 1982 report. Ten years later, hazardous- hazards, quote, widespread. Twenty years later, workers sue over cancers. Over a decade later, problems persisted. Other documents indicate, quote, Contamination of oil and gas facilities with naturally occurring radioactive materials, NORM, is widespread. A 1993 paper published by the Society of Petroleum Engineers warned, Some contamination may be sufficiently severe that maintenance and other personnel may be exposed to hazardous concentration. Nonetheless, the paper focused on the potential for, quote, overregulation. Where possible, industry input should be directed to minimize an overregulation of norm contamination in the industry. Author Peter Gray, an expert on radioactivity who formerly worked for Phillips Petroleum Company, wrote. He added that concentrations of radioactive contamination at the time were, quote, relatively low and do not usually present a health hazard to the public or to most personnel in the industry, but added that some facilities, quote, may be hazardous to maintenance personnel in particular. The 1993 paper notes that some oil-producing states had passed or were considering passing laws to protect against the industry's radioactive wastes, noting in particular that Louisiana and Mississippi had regulations in effect and that Louisiana had required, quote, radiation surveys of every petroleum facility in the state. But state and federal regulators largely failed to act. Rolling Stone found of 21 significant oil and gas producing states, only five have provisions addressing workers, and just three include protections for the public, according to research by Elizabeth Ann Glass-Geltman, the public health expert. The magazine reported much of the legislation that does exist seems hardly sufficient. In documents dated nearly two decades later, from a 2011 lawsuit brought by more than 30 Louisiana oilfield workers who developed cancer, plaintiffs' experts described as resulting from their exposure to radioactive materials at work. 
The 2013 Plaintiff's Expert Report describes in detail how jobs like Roustabout, Roughneck, and Derrickman can expose workers to radioactive materials, including a sludge where radioactive elements concentrate that collects inside pipes in so-called pipe scale or crusty deposits that also attract radioactive materials. The case ended in October 2016 following a long string of settlements on unspecified terms by individual plaintiffs in the case. Public court records show. Tracking the Trucks Noble's Rolling Stone expose depicts radioactive drilling waste sloshing into a striking array of corners. For example, to keep dust down, the, quote, brine can be spread on roads, like a stretch in Pennsylvania, where Nobel describes a group of Amish girls strolling barefoot. Nobel adds that contractors pick up waste directly from the wellhead, and that in 2016 alone, more than 10.5 million gallons were sprayed on roads in the northwestern corner of Pennsylvania. The waste has also been sold at Lowe's, bottled as Aqua Salina, and marketed as a pet-safe way to fight ice and salt. Though an Ohio State lab found it contains radium at more than 40 times the levels the Nuclear Regulatory Commission allows in discharge from industry, and the radium-laced waste is spilled from trucks transporting it. In potential, potentially what the article indicates may be a violation of federal law. One brine truck driver identified only as a man named Peter from Ohio started taking his own samples after being told by another worker with a radiation detector that he'd been hauling, quote, one of the hottest loads he'd ever seen, Rolling Stone reports. A lot of guys are coming up with cancer or sores and skin lesions that take months to heal, Peter told the magazine. Tests by a university lab found radium levels as high as 8,500 picocuries per liter. One expert, scientist Marvin Reisenkopf, who served as one of the plaintiff's experts in the lawsuit brought by the Louisiana oil field workers and co-authored the 2013 report, told Rolling Stone that standard brine truck rolling through Pennsylvania might be carrying radioactive wastewater at levels a thousand times higher than those allowed under Federal Department of Transportation limits. But a DOT spokesperson told Rolling Stone federal regulators rely heavily on industry self-reporting, and the rules seem generally unenforced. Environmental groups immediately called for congressional hearings into the drilling industry's radioactive wastes. Quote, This alarming report brings into stark relief what we already knew to be true, Food and Water Watch Policy Director Mitch Jones said in a statement calling for a congressional investigation. That highly toxic and radioactive waste generated by fossil fuel drilling and fracking cannot be stored or disposed of safely and, in fact, is often being intentionally dispersed in our communities. Quote, It is imperative that Congress hold hearings soon to examine and expose the full extent of the threat oil and gas waste poses to families and workers throughout America. He added, And take urgent action to halt fracking in the legal and illegal dispersal of the waste currently taking place. 
And next up is a piece published in americamagazine.org. As an island nation, Ireland gives special significance to water. Folklore tells of swans transformed from humans, bound to lakes for centuries. No town is more than three hours from a coastline, where one is drawn to the sea with its, quote, timeless waves, bright, sifting, broken glass, to quote the poet Seamus Heaney. Water is often the preamble to conversations among both, both friends and strangers as the frequency of rain is lamented or inquiries are made of the next forecasted shower. Given our respect for water resources, it came as something of a surprise when the Irish government, which declared a climate emergency last May, added a liquefied natural gas LNG terminal to the European Union's list of projects of common interest. The terminal is to be built on an estuary of the island's longest river, the Shannon, a special area of conservation, but the project is on hold awaiting the outcome of a court case over planning and environmental concerns. Planning permission, which was granted in 2008, has expired, and critics of this project want the environmental assessments re-examined. The project's U.S. backers, New Fortress Energy, report the terminal will have the capacity to import from the United States more than 6 million gallons of fracked LNG each day, which is equivalent to the amount of gas currently imported annually. How do we make sense of a country that protects its water supply by banning fracking within its own borders, but is willing to contaminate waters in another country? Climate activist groups aided by several high-profile anti-fracking campaigners, including Mark Ruffalo and Cher, have pleaded for the Irish government to reconsider, including this project, on the PCI list. Many have accused the Irish government of hypocrisy on the subject of fracked gas, processes it outlawed domestically in 2017. The process of fracturing rock to capture gas can lead to the escape of methane, a potent greenhouse gas, and contamination of the atmosphere, groundwater, and soil. One scientist who opposes the Shannon River facility says that the carbon footprint of imported LNG is 44% higher than that of coal. Fracking also raises concerns about significant health risks, and activists in Pennsylvania are demanding an investigation into high numbers of childhood and young adult cancer cases near shale gas operations. The opposition to the Shannon LNG facility is grounded in a realization that local actions have global implications. Fossil fuel emissions do not respect national borders, and the fracking for the LNG imported by Ireland will primarily take place in Pennsylvania, further increasing the risk of poisoning aquifers and water tables for low-income communities in that state. How do we make sense of a country that protects its water supply by banning fracking within its own borders, but is willing to contaminate waters in another country? Perhaps considering water as a common good, one not constrained by the boundaries of nation-states, provides a path to enlightenment. Descriptions of water bookend the Bible. In the creation story, quote, a river flows out of Eden to water the garden. In his final description of a holy city within a new haven, within a new heaven and a new earth, 
John tells of the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. Water is central to life-sustaining acts of God, like parting the Red Sea, providing water to drink from the rock at Massa and Meribah, and serving as a medium for baptism. Water, which is necessary to sustain life, must be understood as fundamental to any concept of the common good. In 2003, the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace declared that, quote, Water is a good that must serve for the development of the whole person and of every person. Central to this is the idea of a good being available to every person. For the Irish government to continue with the LNG terminal on the basis of energy security for Irish people is to disregard the harm caused to people in Pennsylvania. Climate and ecosystem breakdown presses us to consider again how decisions made locally make a difference globally. Defending his position during a parliamentary debate, the Minister for Climate Action, Richard Bruton, argued that, quote, we cannot, as a country, pick and choose which products we take based on their environmental profile. Really? Isn't that your job? His department later stated that the Shannon LNG terminal is a private commercial project and the responsibility for future investment and the operation decisions would be, quote, matters for the project promoter. This represents the capitulation of a senior government minister to the forces of the market, where potential profit seems to predetermine the outcome. But in the encyclical Passum in Terrace, Pope John 23, describing mutual collaboration between states, differentiates between the common good of the nation-state and the common good of the entire human family. Quote, We must bear in mind that of its very nature, civil authority exists, not to confine men within the frontiers of their own nations, but primarily to protect the common good of the state, which certainly cannot be divorced from the common good of the entire human family. This is the crux of the issue. Relationships between states must be characterized by the principles of truth and justice. The Irish government's insistence on importing fracked gas reveals the dark heart of neoliberalism, where democratically elected politicians are unable to refuse the provision of new markets for goods that have deleterious effects on the communities where the goods are extracted. In an age of increased populist nationalism, climate and ecosystem breakdown presses us to consider again how decisions made locally make a difference globally. The Catholic Church, in its insistence that water is a common good, is invoking a universal moral principle of profound political significance that hints at how we can engage this global issue from our local perspectives. And next is a piece from foxnews.com, written by David Aro. At least 38 people were arrested and forced out of the Colorado State Capitol on Thursday for urging climate change action during the annual State of the State Address. Numerous protesters, many affiliated with Extinction Rebellion and Sunrise Movements, were seen being dragged out of the building in handcuffs. They were taken into custody on charges of trespassing, disrupting a lawful assembly, and obstruction of a peace officer, according to the Denver Police Department. 
Just minutes before Colorado Governor Jared Polis arrives at the House of Representatives in Denver, some protesters in the upper chamber put up signs and were heard chanting anti-fracking slogans. A large banner reading, No More Sacrifice Zones, was draped over the railing, while a protester was heard shouting, Ban fracking now. Quote, I'm here to exercise my First Amendment rights in the face of a climate emergency, another protester told police before he was lifted from his chair and dragged out of the upstairs area of the chamber by both arms. In his address, Polis said his administration has made great progress on climate change, including cutting greenhouse gas emissions and creating a new office to aid workers impacted by the shift of clean energy, according to Westworld. The protesters felt the governor needed to do more to shift away from fossil fuels. And next up is a piece published at money.usnews.com, reported by Dave Sherwood. Chile's environmental regulator on Monday charged state oil company ENOP with improper fracking in the Tierra del Fuego a wild, largely unpopulated region at the southern fringe of the South American continent. The country's environmental superintendent said ENOP had failed to follow protocols in its permits for so-called hydrofracking activities. Three of the six charges filed by regulators are serious enough to shut down the project, the regulators said. ENOP did not immediately respond to a request for comment. The remote Tierra del Fuego region of Patagonia straddles the Chile-Argentina border and is renowned for its pristine natural parks, home to penguins, puma, and abundant sea life. Chile has few fossil fuels of its own and has long been forced to import gas and oil from abroad, a drain on public coffers. State-run ENAP has over decades explored throughout Chile, but domestic production remains relatively small. ENOP has 10 days to present a compliance plan to the regulator or 15 days to dispute the charges. And this, written by Jessica Murray, published in TheGuardian.com. Activists warn of, quote, fracking by stealth and call for acid fracking ban. Campaigners have warned that the fracking Moratorium announced by the UK government does not apply to acid fracking, a process that involves injecting acid into the earth to dissolve and fracture rock. More than 500 academics, politicians, and campaigners have signed an open letter indicated by Brockham Oil Watch, calling on the government to ban the practice over fears companies may use it to get around the moratorium. Lawyers and academics said regulation of the use of acid in oil and gas wells is vague and could be exploited. Jonathan Bartley, the co-leader of the Green Party, is one of the letter's signatories. Quote, It isn't acceptable just to have half a moratorium. The definition of fracking needs to be expanded. Regulations need to apply right across all forms of unconventional drilling, and local communities need to know what's going on beneath their feet. No permits have yet been granted for acid stimulation in England, though oil and gas companies, along with water companies, commonly use acid wash to clean wells. 
Campaigners fear the lack of monitoring of acid use could lead to fracking by stealth through matrix acidicizing. Where liquid is injected into the earth at low pressure to dissolve rock or acid fracturing or fracking, where the acid is used at high pressure to fracture the rock. Residents in Russell, North Lincolnshire, are waiting on the outcome of a public inquiry, which took place in November last year, to decide whether onshore oil and gas company Egdon can continue drilling at its site in the area. The company's plans involve using a, quote, prop and squeeze that would dissolve rock around the well and can create small fractures. The newly elected Conservative MP for Brig and Ghoul, Andrew Percy, has previously described fracking as, quote, industrialization of the countryside and said affected communities should be given more power over the issue, although he has previously voted against tighter fracking regulation. Stuart Hazeldean, professor of carbon capture and storage at the University of Edinburgh, said the UK government definition of fracking is part of the problem. Quote, Most countries define fracking as the intention to fracture the rock, but the UK takes the use of quite large volume of fluid as a definition of fracking, he said. It's quite possible to use a small volume of fluid to frack the rock, including acid, without actually naming it as fracking, and without going through the formal permissions for fracking. His analysis shows that of 4,500 oil wells fracked in the U.S. from 2000 to 2010, 89% would not be defined as fracking in the U.K., along with 43% of U.S. gas wells fracked over the same period. Quote, This is a clear opportunity for gaming the system, so I argue that acid treatments onshore should stop, until a coherent set of regulations is produced and with clarity about who polices those regulations. Campaigners claim acid stimulation brings with it many of the same risks as fracking, such as water, soil, and air contamination, and earth tremors. The Weald in Surrey and Sussex is a primary target for onshore oil and gas extraction. A local resident has launched a campaign to fund a judicial review into the council's decision to grant 20 more years of oil production at the Horse Hill site near Horley. Brenda Pollock, the Southeast Regional Campaigner for Friends of the Earth, said residents near areas at risk of potential acid fracking should remain vigilant. She said, quote, It could be worse for those communities now because with this moratorium, companies are going to be turning to those sites where they can get their feet in the door or their drills in the ground. However, industry representatives say the use of fracking, the use of acid, is standard practice and should not cause concern. Ken Cronin, the chief executive of UK Onshore Oil and Gas, said, quote, Acidization, acidization, both in the water industry and our own, is regulated practice that allows us to effectively, quote, clean or improve recovery from a well. It dissolves fine particles in scale, allowing a better flow of what we're trying to extract. As with household kettles, which need to be treated for lime scale buildup, the use of this process merely increases the efficiency of our practices. An environmental permit is only issued for this technique if the environment agency are satisfied that the proposed activities meet the requirements of all the relevant legislation.
And from the sierraclub.org, lawsuit challenges Trump plan to frack, drill one million acres of California public lands. Conservation groups sued the Trump administration today, challenging the last step in the administration's plan to allow oil drilling and fracking on more than one million acres of public lands and minerals in Central California. Today's lawsuit filed in U.S. District Court in Los Angeles says the Bureau of Land Management violated federal law by failing to consider fracking's potential harm to public health and recreation in the region, as well as harm to the climate and possible groundwater and air pollution. The suit also notes the potential for oil industry-induced earthquakes. The BLM plan would allow drilling and fracking on public lands across eight counties in California's Central Valley and Central Coast. Fresno, Kern, Kings, Madera, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, Tulare, and Ventura. Quote, Trump's illegal, deeply unjust fracking plan would be a disaster for Central Valley communities, as well as our climate, wildlife, and water, said Claire Lakewood, a senior attorney at the Center for Biological Diversity. We need to phase out fracking and oil drilling, not throw open our public lands to polluters. The future of our beautiful state and our children depends on it. The Trump administration also plans to allow fracking on an additional 725,500 acres across 11 counties in California's Central Coast and Bay Area. In October, conservation groups filed suit to challenge that decision. Quote, BLM's ill-considered plan to fling wide the door of fracking on public lands is yet another assault on California's efforts to protect its environment and move away from dirty fossil fuels, said Ann Alexander, a senior attorney with the Natural Resources Defense Council. Governor Newsom just announced curbs on oil drilling, but BLM is charging full speed ahead with it. California is trying to find a way to rationally address its limited water supply, and now BLM is greenlighting activities that can contaminate it with toxic chemicals. This federal war on California really needs to stop. The BLM has not held an oil and gas lease sale in California since 2012, when a federal judge ruled that the agency had violated the National Environmental Policy Act by issuing oil leases in Monterey County without considering fracking's environmental dangers. Quote, BLM continues to choose the oil industry over the health and safety of local communities in Central California, said Michelle Gaffar, an attorney at Earth Justice. A federal court already agreed with us once that the BLM failed to fully evaluate the impacts of the oil and gas expansion it is authorizing on public land. We're returning to court once again to ensure the agency properly analyzes the impacts of devastating fracking activities in its plan. Most of the land the BLM plans to open to the oil industry is in the San Joaquin Valley, which already has some of the most severe air pollution in the country. Quote, the BLM's illegal plan to open up one million acres of our public lands to oil extraction is a dangerous risk to our communities, company, homes, and schools, said Robert Tadlock, Associate General Counsel at Patagonia. It would also accelerate the climate crisis, and Venture County already ranks as the fastest warming county in the continental United States. We should be working harder and smarter to stop climate change, not ignoring impacts of further drilling. 
California's Central Valley already suffers from some of the worst air and water quality in the state, and the decision allowing leases for oil extraction in public lands would be catastrophic for our region, and especially for the health of our communities, said Nayamin Martinez, director of the Central California Environmental Justice Network. For years, CCEJN staff has monitored emissions from oil and gas facilities and has documented that residents living near pump jacks and storage tanks are constantly exposed to benzene and other VOCs that are carcinogenic. We need to protect our communities from further toxic pollution, not increase their exposure. Areas planned for drilling and fracking are near spectacular public lands, including state parks and beaches, national parks, forests, wildlife refuges, the Pacific Crest Trail, and Carrizo Plain National Monument. The lands are also home to threatened and endangered animals, including San Joaquin kit foxes and California condors. Quote, This reckless plan threatens the iconic landscapes that define Central California, endangering our communities and moving us further away from a clean energy future, said Jeff Kuiper, Executive Director of Los Padres Forest Watch. Our action today seeks to uphold our nation's environmental protection laws while securing a safe and healthy future for our region's public lands. Quote, Throughout this planning process, the Trump administration has ignored our warnings about the long-term impacts to nearby communities and national parks in favor of short-term gains for oil and gas developers, said Mark Rose, Sierra Nevada Program Manager for the National Parks Conservation Association. This plan could allow drilling near several of our most cherished public lands, like Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks, and Cesar E. Chavez National Monument which already suffer from some of the worst air quality of any park units in the country. In November, Governor Gavin Newsom's administration announced a moratorium on new high-pressure steam injection wells and scientific reviews of all current fracking permit applications. Quote, The BLM is breaking the law by failing to adequately analyze the impacts that increased fracking would cause to air and water quality, public health, and global climate change, said Alex Dow, Assistant Director of Energy and Climate at the Wilderness Society. Residents of California's Central Valley and our public lands deserve thoughtful, science-backed planning. We are joining this lawsuit as part of our continued support for environmental justice and good stewardship of America's public lands. Today's lawsuit adds to a raft of recent legal challenges to the federal oil and gas leasing program over the damage to the climate. Climate scientists are urging drastic cuts to greenhouse gas pollution, but new oil and gas leases commit public lands to producing more pollution for decades. Federal fossil fuel production causes about one quarter of all U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Quote, at a time when we need to be taking urgent action to address the climate crisis, the Trump administration's attempts to expand fossil fuel extraction on our public lands represent a huge step in the wrong direction, said Gary Lasky, chair of the Sierra Club Tehepite chapter in Fresno. Quote, this reckless plan is a threat to our public lands, our health, and our climate, 
and we will not allow it to go unchallenged. Fracking is an extreme oil extraction process that blasts a mixture of toxic chemicals and water into the ground to crack open oil-bearing rocks. According to the BLM, about 90% of new oil and gas wells on public lands are fracked. A 2015 report from the California Council on Science and Technology concluded that fracking in California happens at unusually shallow depths, dangerously close to underground drinking water supplies, with unusually high concentrations of toxic chemicals. And next up is a piece from Bloomberg.com written by David Weth. Decline in, quote, frack log shows scale of pullback by U.S. shale drillers. As the U.S. shale boom unfolded, the number of oil wells that were drilled but never opened for production steadily rose. Now that figure has plunged by a surprising 10% in the newest sign yet of tough times for drillers. A weighty decline in the so-called frack log is perhaps the most salient gauge of a developing slowdown in U.S. shale. It shows that explorers are no longer racing to drill wells faster than they can complete them. The drop adds to a growing body of evidence that shale explorers, pushed by investors to prioritize profits over production, are stepping on the brakes. That's bad news for oilfield services companies that have depended on rising shale growth for their prosperity. When Halliburton Co., owner of the world's biggest fleet of fracking pumps, reports on its fourth quarter on January 1, analysts expect to see a 29% earnings decline from a year earlier, excluding certain items. Quote, We continue to believe 2020 will be a tale of two markets, with North America being a muddle while the recovery should continue in international and offshore arenas, James West, an analyst at Evercore ISI, said January 10 in a note to investors titled, 4Q Earnings Season Could Be Ugly. The number of drilled but uncompleted wells known as DUCs have generally increased since the end of 2016, with the rise largely attributable to factors that include lower-than-ideal pricing for oil and gas and limited pipeline capacity. But between May and November, the number fell to 7,574, from a high of 8,429, according to the most recent data from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. That's the steepest decline over the last three years. The key now for the biggest service providers may be how quickly they can pivot toward opportunities outside of shale. Consider the case of Baker Hughes Company, which spun off its onshore fracking business three years ago. While Halliburton is expected to report a fourth quarter decline, Baker Hughes is forecast to report adjusted earnings on January 22 that are up 19% to $0.31 cents a share. When Schlumberger Limited, which already has a major focus outside of the U.S., reports Friday, it is expected to best last year's fourth quarter adjusted earnings by about a penny to 37 cents per share. The world's biggest oil field service company has said its North America land business, which includes pressure pumping, is now under strategic review, and analysts say the company could announce an update to the unit 
on its target's call. Quote, 2019 was a brutal year for completions activity, analysts at Tudor Pickering Holt & Company wrote in a note earlier this month, and the pressure pumpers sit in a deep hole that'll likely take a while to dig out of, absent a stout demand surprise. So definitely big challenges in the marketplace for fracking and fracked oil and gas. And finally, here's a piece from commondreams.org written by Tara Lowen. How one Utah community fought the fracking industry and won. A sign at the north end of Kanab, Utah, proclaims a town of 4,300 to be, quote, the greatest earth on show. It's a rare case of truth in advertising. Kanab sits just seven miles north of the Arizona state line, at the crossroads of some of the southwest's most beautiful places. In every direction, a geologic wonderland awaits. To the north is Zion National Park, with its breathtaking valley of 2,000-foot-tall rust and white sandstone cliffs. The sweeping expanse of Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument stretches to the east of town, and just to the south, you'll find the Grand Canyon's north rim. You don't even need to leave Kanab, which is ringed by the famously red-hued vermilion cliffs, to get socked by jaw-dropping beauty. In this landscape that drew Susan Hand to Kanab 25 years ago, when she opened Willow Canyon Outdoor to sell gear, maps, books, and coffee to local and visiting adventurers. And it's this landscape in the community's gateway to the Wonderland experience, the economic bedrock of this tourism-dependent town, that she worried would be destroyed by new industrial project proposed for development 10 miles north of town last year. There's a company called Southern Red Sands LLC. Had there, a company called Southern Red Sands LLC had announced plans to build a facility to mine and process massive amounts of sand for use by the oil and gas companies conducting hydraulic fracturing. The sand is a lesser known but substantial aspect of the fracking process. Round grains of silica sand serve as propent to keep underground fissures in the shale open as oil and gas are pumped out. Fracking a single well can require thousands of tons of sand. Quote, I really wanted to keep an open mind, but the more I learned about the project, the more concerned I got, Hand told the revelator when I visited Kanab in September. She had a reason to be worried. The first decade of the fracking boom relied heavily on so-called frac sand, sourced mostly from Midwest states like Minnesota and Wisconsin, where mining reduced verdant green hills to piles of dust. But mining in the Midwest has its limits. Sand is expensive to ship across the country. So as fracking has taken off in Utah, Texas, and New Mexico, companies have looked to find more local sources to trim costs. That's when the proposed mine in Kanab entered the story. Southern Red Sands, a two-person startup backed by Utah real estate developer Kem Gardner, hoped to establish the region's next frac sand mine in a scenic area of state-owned lands outside of Kanab called Red Knoll. City and county officials quickly gave their blessing, 
and a combined 1,200 acre-feet of water rights a year, after only cursory consideration. But residents became concerned about impacts to scenic beauty, water resources, and local businesses. They teamed up to fight back, forming a community group called Keep Kanab Unspoiled. It was beginning to feel like a familiar story. The struggle between extractive industries and environmental protection is not a new one in Utah. A fight is still raging nearby over the boundaries of Bears Ears National Monument and Grand Staircase Escalante, both of which President Trump slashed in order to increase drilling and mining opportunities. Despite published public pushback and some legal challenges, though, the frac sand mine seemed to be cruising toward approval as recently as October. It still needed an environmental impact statement or assessment from the Bureau of Land Management, and the two water transfers needed approval from the state engineer. The project definitely wasn't a done deal, but in industry-friendly Utah, it had a good shot. So it may have come as a surprise to a number of residents when Southern Red Sands announced at the beginning of January that it was abandoning the proposed project. What happened, and are there any lessons that other communities fighting extraction threats can learn? Quote, Speak out, pull together like-minded neighbors, organize, and don't give up, Han told me after hearing the news. But also, try to be nice. Surprisingly, it's that last bit that may have made a big difference, along with a good hard look at the economics of the endeavor. The Threats Von Dell Chamberlain is a white-haired, soft-spoken Kanab resident. Born in 1934, he spent his youth exploring the Red Rock and his career studying the stars. The astronomer and former director of Salt Lake City's Hansen, now Clark, Planetarium, retired to his hometown 15 years ago and hoped to start a public observatory. He realized that Kanab's prized dark night skies would be threatened by a 24-7 mining operation, but that wasn't even his biggest concern with the project. Quote, The beauty here is the thing that will sustain this area economically for as far in the future as we can possibly see. Opponents like Chamberlain usually cited two big concerns, environmental impacts, particularly the threat to water resources, and the local economy. But in Kanab, it's hard to separate the two. Quote, It doesn't matter what kind of an economy you want to develop here, said Hand. Even if you have an industrial economy or an extractive economy, if you don't have water, you're out. The water supply, which draws on underground aquifers, currently supports the town's tourist-driven economy, ranching, and the county's biggest employer, Best Friends Animal Society, known worldwide through the Dogtown TV series on the National Geographic Channel. The nonprofit owns a 3,700-acre sanctuary, the country's largest no-kill animal shelter, and would have been the mine's closest neighbor. Best Friends, which employs 400 locals and draws 35,000 out-of-town visitors a year to its sanctuary, came to see the proposed mine as an existential threat. Their property relies on wells, seeps, and springs that come from the same aquifer the project's two wells would tap. 
Last July, Kanab City Council approved a 50-year contract for 600 acre-feet a year of water rights for the project in Kane County Water Conservancy District, which oversees water servicing for unincorporated areas of the county, agreed to provide an additional 600 acre-feet of water. That combined amount equals about 740 gallons per minute, although Southern Red Sands contend it would use only about a third of that. Many local residents were shocked by the water rights transfer. A 2016 water needs assessment found that Kane County Water Conservancy District's reliable supply would be in deficit by 2035. And the district's executive director, former state representative Mike Knoll, has been a vocal advocate for a pricey proposed pipeline to send Lake Powell water to southern Utah communities, including near Kanab, under the premise that the region is already running short on water. Quote, We knew that it would damage our seeps and our springs, and we weren't sure yet the full impact besides some drawdown to our groundwater. But we were really concerned, Bart Batista, an environmental engineer responsible for facilities management at Best Friends Kanab Sanctuary, told me. It boggles my mind that the city wasn't as concerned. But documents unearthed by local radio station KUER showed that officials at nearby Zion National Park already were concerned that the project could reduce flows into the East Fork of the Virgin River, which flows through the park by reducing the amount of water from underground seeps and springs that feed the river. Wanting to learn more about how the project could affect the region's water, Best Friends commissioned a study from hydrogeologist Kenneth Colm of Hydrologic Systems Analysis, a firm that's completed water studies for other Utah towns. Colm found that the mine posed the potential for decline in productivity to wells owned by both Best Friends and the city's water supply. The project could also decrease flows into nearby Kanab Creek and dry up perennial streams and springs including one that feeds an area of habitat that's home to the Kanab Amber Snail, currently federally protected as endangered. The amount of water being withdrawn wasn't the only issue. The proposed project site and its sandy soil are also vitally important to local hydrology. Quote, The sand is the first ticket to collecting water, said Hand. It captures rain and holds it in place long enough for it to sink into the water table, and not run off. But the sand is exactly what would be removed from the site, further threatening the region's water supply. Quote, I realized for the first time how small and vulnerable our watershed actually is. Southern Red Sands hoped to start digging on 640 acres of land around Red Knoll, an aptly named Rise of Coral Color Rock and Sand, the area is managed as part of Utah's School and International Trust Lands Administration, SITLA, where state-owned property can be leased, often for resource extraction, with revenue being funneled to education. The operation would have started by bulldozing all the trees, shrubs, grasses, and forbs, then scraped up to 30 feet of the earth from the exposed surface. The sand would then be processed, washed with water and chemicals, then dried and sorted in a facility with up to six 120-foot-tall silos. After that, it would be loaded into trucks and hauled out. 
A small fraction of the remaining sediment, mostly the fine silts and clays, would be put back on the land. But that change in geology could mean a big change for the aquifer. How big would depend on the scope of the project, though. In addition to the SITLA land, Southern Red Sands has aquifer placer claims, mineral exploration rights, for 12,000 surrounding acres managed by the BLM. And although the company said it planned to mine only 700,000 tons a year from the Sitla property, the facility would have had the capacity and water rights to accommodate much more. If they're building a plant with a capacity of 3 million tons a year, that's presumably because they expect to be able to produce that, Dean Baker, canal president and opponent of the project, told me in December. They may never do that, but you don't build extra capacity without the idea that you might use it. The Resistance Water issues are paramount in arid Utah, but the mine was likely to come with some other potential problems. If Southern Red Sands did build out to end out to the end of their claims, they'd be within 10 miles of Zion National Park, and workers at Best Friends would be looking over their fence line at the operation, not to mention potential, potentially breathing its dust. Mining, processing, and trucking frac sand can release tiny particles of crystalline silica into the air. Inhaling those particles regularly can cause lung disease, including cancer and silicosis, a chronic disease that, like black lung for coal miners, can be deadly. The facility would likely run with lights and noise 24-7, which could be detrimental to wildlife, and adding more diesel-spewing, slow-stopping big rigs hauling 50,000 pounds of sand down the town's one main road concerned residents, too. With so much at risk, opponents employed a number of tactics to try to fight the mine. Keep Kanab unspoiled held community meetings. They invited Colm, the geologist who did the independent study, to report his findings and started an online petition to discourage the company from moving forward. Best Friends, an established national nonprofit with considerably more financial resources, took the lead role in mounting legal challenges. The organization filed an appeal of a conditional use permit approved by the county and formally objected to the water transfers, which needed to be approved by the state engineer. But during the fall, Best Friends decided to shift tactics. Lawsuits could just lead to years of legal battles, something beyond the organization's long-standing mission. Quote, We might alienate our donors and members, Batista explained. The appeal of best friends crosses party boundaries. Animal welfare is something everybody can support. Apparently, environmental action is not. They decided the best approach was to sit down and talk with the company and its backers. Batista couldn't dis- disclose details of the negotiations, which went on for months. But on January 9, best friends and Southern Red Sands released a joint statement saying that the company, quote, had decided not to pursue its business ventures in Kane County. The members of Keep Kanab Unspoiled were elated by the news. Quote, It's so heartening how so many people from our community came together to amplify a voice that is seldom acknowledged by our, electoral, by our elected representatives and institutions, Hand tells me. 
I'm relieved that an area I love won't be sacrificed on the altar of fossil fuel consumption. I'm grateful that this threat to our travel and tourism economy is diminished. It would be comforting to think that the driving force behind the decision boiled down to preserving the scenic beauty of the region's groundwater or the region's groundwater resources. But it's more likely it had to do with money. Economics played some role, Batista said. The market for frac sand has changed, and Best Friends had financial viability assessments of the project to show that the mine wouldn't be a good idea. Economically, it just didn't make sense to any of us. I think that our studies corroborated that. This was a main talking point of Keep Kanab Unspoiled, bolstered by research done by Baker, who also happens to be an economist and co-founder of the Center for Economic and Policy Research. The frac sand industry and the larger fracking industry is volatile. The number of rigs drilling for oil tends to fall when prices get low. Rigs plunged with falling prices from 2014 to 2016, and last year saw record declines in rig numbers. In addition, fracking costs more than traditional drilling, and the industry has been overspending to keep the fracking boom from going bust. A research organization in Norway found that the amount of money being spent to drill for oil by 40 U.S. shale oil companies outpaced the money being made by selling that oil. That deficit cost companies almost $5 billion in just the first quarter of 2019, Desmog reported in August. With oil prices now around $60 a barrel, the industry is hanging on. If prices dip much lower, it could be trouble. A decade into the fracking frenzy, investors are worried that the best spots had been drilled and many debts won't be paid. There's even more uncertainty when it comes to producing and selling the sand. Companies used to rely almost exclusively on Midwest sand, but now more areas are getting in on the game. The consequences of failures in the fracking business model are real. Falling oil prices and shifting market for frac sand recently took down Emerge Energy Services, owner of eight frac sand facilities in Wisconsin, which filed for bankruptcy last summer and left behind unsafe levels of arsenic and heavy metal contamination for the community to clean up. That's a scenario that Baker worried could happen in Kanab. Southern Red Sands said their intended market was in Utah's Uinta Basin, 350 miles north, but a new frac sand mine just opened in the basin. Quote, it's almost inconceivable they'd be able to compete with them because the biggest cost with frac sand is the shipping, said Baker. There are some operations in the San Juan Basin in New Mexico and Colorado, but it's not clear to me that they could beat those out either. Even though economics played a role in the halting in halting the project, he believes community efforts were important too. The fact they faced a serious legal they faced serious legal obstacles at every step in their path had to be a factor, he said. It's a nice and unfortunately rare victory for the environment. Best friends worked to ensure the hard-earned victory wasn't short-lived either. It also purchased Southern Red Sands 12,000 acres of mineral rights. Quote, We want to make sure that no one else comes here in two years if the market's better and tries to put in another sand mine. We just don't think that's the right thing for this area, said Batista. We want to make sure that in perpetuity there is not a threat to the sanctuary. As for Han, she is now looking at the bigger picture. 
She saw the fight over frack sand and kanab as a microcosm of the global fight over fossil fuels and climate change. Quote, While we can embrace a sense of triumph, it's likely to be brief, she says. When it comes to protecting wild places and using our resources carefully, our work will never be done. The next development project is already bubbling. I do feel more hopeful for each success. But climate change marches on. And that will wrap up this episode of Frack You Very Much. Remember, if you want to check out all the back episodes, just go to frackyouverymuch.com. You can also find a link there to send me a message. You can also follow on Twitter at FYVM Show. Here is Ecocide by Thought Crime Collective from the album Love and Rage. Thanks for listening. Ecocide. Work by, consume, die. Who'd want to eat this lie? It's all ecocide. We're on the verge of human extinction. Civilizations fight the Kool-Aid you've been drinking. Eyes closed and constipated to thinking. Can't see past your nose, the Titanic sinking. Conscious shrinking, past the eyes are blinking. Big bitch kills kids and feels the gills thick. Feeds off the selfish sickness. Staying divided over illness. Humanity smothers wilderness. Killing this forest so you can't see the trees. Love one another, never trust the beast. Capitalist chaos claims to govern. An endless growth disease, it'll crumble. It will crumble. Blocks epiphanies, then you stumble. Minds affected seeds, but can't at least start defective. What's the answer been neglected? The earth needs steadily, causing casualties, very casually. Elected leaders make us openly tragically. A change gon' come, we need it very radically. Problems dissected, we need to plant the seeds of revolution. Of a bigger picture perspective solution. Since building institutions erected, lock out the sky's perfection, no time to be reflecting. The greatest crime of a lifetime is not to get past. Your short sight line, when struggle and fight, you might find Collective enslavement by corporations is necessitating Workers' emancipation, animal earth liberation One of the same constraints we're facing Needs fighting many fronts adjacent Remember patience In the face of paper chases, it's complacent We owe them much hatred, got to rip up their faces If we wait, there may not be future generations Future's been denied, plants, animals, and people die Committing ecocide, gotta be more to people's lives They work by, consume, die, resources suck dry They're our last eagle high, while bald eagles fly We won't split an equal pie, from attacks on native lives Whole country strip mine, globalization, genocide, colonialism been revived Now our earth will see us die, rise, organize your tribe Ride and regain your sight, when the time is right, we know when to strike And these rich parasites, wake the fuck up and fight the smokestacks spit as capitalists keep the fires lit Black smoky meds going against our red stinks Practically drinking the industrialist piss This way of life cannot exist Wake the fuck about your bliss We live in a decadent death culture Didn't know, now I told ya Work consumption covered so much that bullshit's almost over Focus on this new emerging order And balance, not dependent on the slaughter Exploitation leaves the rich, richer and the poor poor But it's all worth nothing if we don't have clean water A world polluted by profits An unthinkable flaw called markets Natural world does tool of this darkness predator corporations protected by state and federal legislations billions the temper companies that make killings log and roll ceo pocket filling this insane game live with no restraint polluting that's a gray where's your brain stay shoot nukes now we all decay you best know who's to blame 
the industrial capitalist For being geared only towards profits We need to stop this Cause there's no recognition of life That's nonsense, straight nonsense I'm a product of a ruthless culture 500 years of colonialist sickness on my shoulders Wish my ancestors could have been bolder Now it's our duty to bring the revolution forward Bring it forward Committing ecocide Gotta beam on the people's lives They work by, consume, die Resources suck dry They're our last eagle high While bald eagles fly We won't split an equal pie From attacks on native lives Whole country stripped by Globalization, genocide, colonialism been revived Now our earth will see us die Rise, organize your tribe Ride and regain your sight When the time is right, we know when to strike And these rich parasites wake the fuck up and fight 2007, the people scream and stop the slaughter 20 years from now, it's all we want is clean water Every day it's plain to see we're plotting our destruction Destroying Mother Earth without logging instruction Topsoil roads and their flows to the ditches Ditches lead to streets and kills the eggs of the fishes It's such a battle, trees are being cut for cattle Save a cow, save a tree, eat a fucking apple I'm tired of these assholes who think it's such a hassle Not to drive a boat and live in a fucking castle These ruthless executives should be in prison Cause who do you think the ones committing eco-terrorism? Villains, spilling waste into the ecosystem Supported by the police, the judges and the Christians The corporations we need to take down are faceless They know they do wrong so they avoid public relations The intentions of those fighting well stand naked Let's not play the hands we're dealt since they've taken Our free will shows we knelt or be killed Alters of progress, doom is spelled by deadly doctors Tell us to live with losses, follow bosses, swallow causes Extinction prescriptions as technology drugs the witness Cringes the pain of a grimace Give up society's fictions or we're finished